Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Colton Classic Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult, and talk about them both side by side. Uh, this week, we have killer birthday parties, and I am pretty excited about this uh we have 2019's the banana splits movie and then we have killer pinata the director's cut now the original came out in 2015 and the director's cut is out now uh, uh 2021 you can pick it up right now and we'll talk about some differences there but for this first segment we will talk about the banana splits movie and then next week we will talk about killer pinata so listen to them both to get the full story I, of course, am your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian and film critic, and we have our great panel of regulars here today. First up, Tad Mastroianni. How are you doing, Tad? As a wise man once said, this really puts my balls in a salad shooter. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to question that. Uh, okay, I am questioning that in my head. Who said that, Tad? Oh, that was actually uh, Noah Antweiler. All right. Well... Google away, folks. Next up, we have Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? Oh, uh, sorry. W one second. I got some uh, birthday cake in the microwave. Be right back. Oh, <laughs> pulling out the G-Force magic. Oh. <laughs> Guys, uh, we Not also Not done have... yet. Not <laughs> done yet. <laughs> it's not quite dry and disgusting enough um, for a hamster. Or, sorry, a guinea pig. Uh, Mandy. Mandy Longley is with us here today. How are you doing, Mandy? That's good. And I was thinking about you this week and how hiding cake in the microwave is good for dogs, but not good against toddlers. So you need to readjust the uh, the plan. And and then that made me think of you with G-Force. And like, maybe they weren't microwaving the cake. Maybe they were just storing the cake. They had the, the door open, right? Wasn't the door open? Because the open guinea pig had to go in to door? get it. Did the guinea pig open it? I don't think so. Was Guys, it like a trap i don't remember go I watch did, disney's g-force to remember this oh man i <laughs> thought about about how how nasty we were to g-force this week when i watched pets united with my son and that's like a whole nother possible podcast right there it was pets, bad pets united was that cats and dogs three i don't know it was like a standalone independent thing as far as i could tell well, I know what I'm going to do this weekend, uh, but let's let's get into this. Let's talk about these these films are both birthday party massacres uh, or or involve 
uh, revolve around that in some way. And the Banana Splits movie is uh, what we're considering the mainstream one. And here's why. Uh, it it had uh, studio money behind it. Uh, I believe Warner Brothers uh, was either behind it or they were kind of instrumental in this project. Now, if you don't know what the Banana Splits uh, adventure hour is, then you are probably under 45. Um, and the reason I say that is because the original Banana Splits Adventure Hour is a kid show where they had, it was one of those variety shows um, where they had people in costumes, uh, the Banana Splits themselves, and then they had like a human guest and then they had kids do like activities, sort of like a, a pre-Nickelodeon Slime Time Live, um, uh, their adventure shows with, with um, it's a GAC, right? Uh, or what, what do they call it? The Double Uzi's, Dare. Yeah, the the Double Dare shows. Um, yeah. The the game video game one. I missed that one. Anyway, oh, back Nick to the Arcade. point. Yes, like that's that. right. So back to the point. It's one of those shows. Um, but this is a re. It's it's not even. I don't even know how to describe it because at first you'd think oh it's a reimagining of the Banana Split show, but it isn't. It's actually mm -hmm. uh, sort of an alternate world where the Banana Split show existed and has existed since 1969, was never canceled, uh, and it's still popular today, but instead of people in costumes, they're actually big animatronic robots in these things, and they have a programmer and so forth. Now, before you think, ugh, I hate movies where there's a programmer because there's always some guy at a computer, there actually isn't. It's very old school, like deep dank cellar with robotic pieces. Uh, you, won't, you won't find one guy sweating over a keyboard in this. Um, the most up-to-date computer technology you will see is green letters on a black screen, which is always welcome in my mind. So this movie is imagining the Banana Split show is uh, performed by robots and is still in production. And the plot follows Harley, a little kid who is kind of outgrown the, the traditional age group that likes the show, but he loves the show. And for his birthday, his mom finds someone his age, uh, Zoe, who they're not really friends, but he needs somebody to go with him uh, as like a, a friend because his only friend is sick. So uh, Zoe and Harley, his mom and his older brother and their, uh, their father, who is the older brother's stepfather, go to a taping of the Banana Splits show for his birthday. Well, little do they know that the new VP of programming has canceled the show. This will be the last one. And that has sent the robots on a, a death uh, uh, death rampage, essentially, where they will kill all the adults, steal the children, and keep the show going with gruesome um, redesigns of their famous bits. Now, you might be thinking, hmm, what a strange thing to do. And you're right. Taking a 1970s, 1969 originally uh, TV show property and reimagining it as a sort of child's play horror flick with gruesome kills is unusual, but in my opinion, quite welcome because the Banana Splits had a reboot in 2008, did not do well, and ever since then has sort of sat on a, on a shelf. And it's one of those properties that it's sort of like Pee-wee's Playhouse for, for my generation. If, if you loved Pee-wee's Playhouse, then that was above all else. You know, there was no Sesame Street. There was Pee-wee's Playhouse and vice versa. Um, if you liked the Banana Splits, then you were all in for the Banana Splits and screw all the other ones, you know, also Sesame Street. Uh, so it was kind of like it, it had its diehard fans. Now, uh, you have all sorts of stock characters in here. You have the stage dad, which is daughter. You have um, the... Uh, 
the the nerdy Instagram streaming couple who uh, the 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 guy proposes to his girlfriend and so on and so forth, and they all fall victim in some way to these killer robots. But there are twists. And this is where I'm going to say, if you think the idea of sort of an 80s slasher film uh, combined with like a child's play vibe combined with the Banana Splits TV show from the 70s, if you find that interesting, go ahead and turn this podcast off and just go watch it. You can rent, rent it to stream. You can purchase it. It's on Blu-ray and DVD. Um, it's, I think it's worth checking out. None of the things that we're going to talk about are spoilers that will ruin the movie, but there are some nice twists. Not even twists. There are some nice uh, events that I think um, you might as well... If, you, if it sounds interesting, watch it first. So we're going to move on with this. Tad, what were you expecting when uh, you saw this movie on the list? And how do you feel now that you've seen it? I figure that since this is an old Hanna-Barbera property, I mean, that's correct, right? This was Hanna-Barbera. Yes, back. it is. It is. I expected this to be goofier than it was. This actually took itself very seriously. And uh, I was... Actually, I didn't know that there was studio backing behind this. I thought this was a fully independent film. And because I because I was watching it and I thought to myself, this is actually really high production value for something that's very independent. The camera work was fantastic. The acting was actually decent. The gore was actually well done. And uh, the dialogue was actually well written. Like plot notwithstanding, because the plot is generic slasher, but uh, I was surprisingly uh, impressed all around for a movie that took me, I think three days to actually fully watch. This was, this was one of those movies where I was just like, I had to take breaks in between because Nate knows I don't care for horror movies, despite the fact that we watched a fuck ton of horror movies when we were younger. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very picky about my horror and I'll get into the, the nuance when we go to the next movie, but basically, uh, impressive visuals, impressive everything, still didn't give a shit. Fair. So the production companies, just to clarify, it's, it's Blue Ice Pictures, which is a Canadian company, and Blue Ribbon Content, but it was distributed um, by Warner Brothers, both theatrically and a video. It, of course, had a limited run theatrically. It was not a wide uh, release. So it, and and the reason, I'll, I'll get into a couple more of things that this, how this came about. It is, as you mentioned, a from a Hanna-Barbera property, and it's the only production to date uh, at least that we're aware of that is an R-rated interpretation of um, of this, you know, of a Hanna-Barbera property. And I think probably the closest you could get otherwise would be James Gunn's Scooby-Doo movies, which of course were not rated R. Um, the, the other thing to know about this project is that it is, uh, I believe the original is was, was Sid and Marty Croft um, did it. And I, I could be wrong on that front. Makes so a whole lot of sense, actually. Fact check me. But yeah, that, so that's, you know, Sid and Marty Croft, very famous for many, many shows. Land of the Lost, one of my favorites. Um, so it, it had, it sort of had a big fan base going into its creation as well. Now, Mandy, what was your expectation seeing this movie on the lineup versus now that you've seen it? Uh, so I didn't really have any expectations. I was... I was like, oh, um, crazy killer person in a big furry suit. Like, this will be interesting. Um, and then I was like, just just very pleasantly surprised that it was not that at all. 
Um, and I really enjoyed like the writing and the little details throughout um, that they just kind of sprinkled through that kind of tied things together uh, and just made it like a very like neat and well-written uh, movie. Yeah, I, I also, especially if you look at the cover um, uh, and it is, these were Croft puppets in the original is what they credited the, the banana splits as in the original. So it is a Sid Marty Croft original property. But yeah, just given the title, um, I mean, the cover, we have, you know, one of the characters leaning in with an ax and then we have the other three of the four banana splits in the background. And it does look like somebody in a costume killing people, which we've seen before um, with like stage fright and multiple versions of the movie Stage Fright and, and multiple different movies called Stage Fright have all have featured a killer in a theater uh, sort of production. And it's not that those can't be good. I love the original Stage Fright. It's, it's, just, it's just so expected. Um, and so the fact that this is supposed to be animatronic robots with this little sort of Terminator-y twinge, but you know, with the glowing eyes and things that we see occasionally, I was really excited to see that. Um, also, if you're listening to this, if you're thinking of the uh, remake of Child's Play that came out a little bit ago with Mark Hamill voicing um, my buddy, you, you would be right. It does have a very similar vibe to that. The whole, you know, computerized toy run amok um, is very similar to this. Uh, but I, I actually, and, and while there's critical... Um, departures on there's there's defenders and attackers about that remake this one i actually like more regardless because it uses this property sort of um faithfully in many ways we get references to actual skits throughout the thing actual sets were rebuilt from the show it's just a lot of fun that way uh and i also thought the writing was fairly strong it does maybe go a little stilted sometimes but i think it's because it's intentionally calling all of the uh horror movie tropes that we know so well you know the jerky stepdad um the uh the self-absorbed people that get their comeuppance it's really you know the, the evil studio exec um the the poor ground level worker uh these are these are all things that we see over and over again in these movies and they're aware of it and so their inclusion of it is sort of this self-aware uh use so it doesn't feel so so uh, dull. Jeff, what was your expectation of this movie going in and how do you feel now that you've seen it? Oh man. Um, it was a little hard to start these films a little bit like, you know, going to the gym when you don't want to. Um, <laughs> I do not see that, but yes, continue. There's there. Yeah. There's this kind of like element of, uh, I, you know, you read the titles and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, these are just going to be novelties. There's, they're going to sacrifice all wit for just pure novelty but it, there was a little bit of wit in this film it made it a little bit watchable the production value was pretty good which also made it you know more watchable um and uh you know overall i still just don't like horror films that much so you know well i think that this one definitely and as sort of tad you said they play it pretty straight this is a this is a horror film like it looks comical but the actual material in it um, I do I do agree with Jeff. I think there is a little bit of wit, not in the sense of humor or jokes, but in the sense of some in, intelligent plot development uh, and, and like plot choices um, that elevate it above some of its peers. I don't think, uh, which is I think what you're getting at, I don't think it's going to like change people's minds who don't like killer monster movies, which is essentially what it is, but it's not intending to. It definitely feels like it's trying to cater to um, 
the people that are looking for this sort of thing and frankly haven't really gotten it in such a slick package in quite a while you know except for the child's play remake we don't get a lot of this kind of you know kids versus evil outside of like stranger things or we got a little with come play which we did a mini soda on uh but really they're not if you do get them they may not be strong or they're a mini series and they they they're not it's it's not like a movie whereas this is a solid movie it looks like you could see it in the theaters as i said it did have a limited release in theaters um the production's there the acting is really solid i thought across the board uh and and so yeah i i enjoyed it so i went in wanting to see this movie when it came out i got a screener and i was like oh excited and I wasn't disappointed, but it what what struck me so so like a slap in the face when I saw it uh, was how much like the video game phenomenon Five Night at Freddy's it felt like. Um, now, if anybody doesn't know what that is, you either don't have kids or you don't play video games, or both. Um, and it, so Five Nights at Freddy's is a game where you basically take a job as like a night security person in a control room and at this Chuck E. Cheese type establishment called Freddy's Pizzeria. And uh, people will probably correct me on these details. Well, get over it. I played the games, but I, I did not study them essentially. But they're pretty fun. They, they rely heavily on jump scares. These animatronic creatures come to life and essentially torment you. And you have to, uh, you know, turn the cameras on in the right order to prevent them from getting to your booth and killing you. And there's some variants as the games go on, but is such a hot property that the movie idea for it has been bouncing around a lot. And the rumor is, it is not confirmed, but the rumor is, is that this actually was a Five Nights at Freddy's script that got rejected when Warner Brothers had the property for it, which I do not believe they have the property for anymore. There is a Five Nights at Freddy's movie. I have been uh, informed that is going through various stages of production. I think it's probably still pretty early, but who knows? Um, I would be shocked if we didn't see something come out of it. I also will say though, even though the games are great, it was a great idea and obviously it's sort of fed this movie's fun idea. I have a hard time seeing it top the Banana Splits movie because the Banana Splits movie took the element that was interesting, animatronic characters that we all remember from our childhoods, and put it on another level of nostalgia, which is a 70s variety show by Sid and Marty Croft from Hanna-Barbera. I don't know how Five Nights at Freddy's can top that. Now, that doesn't mean Five Nights at Freddy's won't make money. They should get it out there. They should get it out there quickly. And there will still be enough people who are in the, the fad phase of it to really jump in and enjoy it. I fully support that. Um, but I, I don't know that it will, I don't think it has a chance of being a better film than this. Could be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong. Um, but that's why this movie feels like that. Uh, I've been referencing the Child's Play remake. Uh, I do think there's similarities, but it definitely is more directly related to Five Nights at Freddy's. So if you've been waiting for the Five Nights at Freddy's movie and you're like, well, this is never going to happen, watch this movie because you're going to, sort of like when we covered um, Dr. Mordred from Full Moon Video when we were talking about the forgotten Dr. Strange films, it started as a Dr. Strange film. It's a Dr. Strange film. Whether they call him Stephen Stranger or Dr. Mordred, it's a Dr. Strange film. This in many ways is... A Five Nights at Freddy's film. Uh, <clears throat> and so I think that that's interesting backstory wise. Here's something else that's interesting. Um, not only did this movie, I think, do a pretty good job of capturing that vibe of the goofy 70s kid shows, but the script is, uh, is, is written by um, a writing team, uh, Jed Elenoff, 
and uh, Scott Thomas. And why might people know their names? Well, first off, I knew their names and was very happy to see them on there because they wrote some episodes for a little show on MTV called Celebrity Deathmatch. Now, Celebrity Deathmatch is one of the greatest television shows that should never be forgotten and is frankly forgotten. Uh, it's a stop motion animated show where they had essentially MMA style fights with real celebrities voiced by other people and animated stop motion. Um, and they got incredibly violent and bloody and insane. Um, I think, was it Trent Reznor against, um, it's gonna, it's gonna come to me. Um, I'm blanking. Anyway, that's fun to listen to on a podcast, people not talking. Uh, but anyway, very, uh, Puffy, Sean Puffy Combs, uh, he was versus Trent Reznor. And I think um, P. Diddy threw records that sliced up Trent Reznor at one point. And they're like, oh, he's doing what he does best, making hits off of other people's records. Like, it was funny. Uh, and they, and, and this team wrote for that show. What's more directly related to this show is that they also write for a lot of Warner Brothers cartoon properties based off of 70s Hanna-Barbera things like Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. They've written for them and they've done a lot of, they've done some of the Flintstone direct-to-video films. So they actually do write for the shows that this show is kind of having fun with. Um, and I think it, it, it feels like it because they actually understand the property that they're, they're handling. Now, um, it's definitely important to mention too, the director on this is uh, uh, Danishka Esterhazy. And I am probably obliterating her name and it's terrible. She is super awesome. She did a great job directing this. And it's exciting that we're talking about this movie now because she's also, um, been chosen to helm and i think it's actually in post-production already the slumber party massacre reboot for sci-fi channel which is exciting because slumber party massacre is uh not just an entertaining 80s you know to 90s uh horror franchise but also it's female made so you get that you you brought in another woman uh to direct this upcoming reboot and i think it's important because you just get different sensibilities. Frankly, you take out a lot of the sex appeal that is shoved into a, a non-sexy role that male directors so often shoehorn in. I mean, that was something about the Banana Splits movie. Um, we get, there's this nice little subplot about the mom, Harley's mom, um, having her, her first husband died and she couldn't do anything about it. We don't know exactly how he died in the, you know, given the film's context, which is probably natural. They're not going to say he died in a car accident, mom. Yeah, they know. Um, but he died and she couldn't save him. So whatever it was, accident or otherwise, she couldn't help. Now, uh, because of that, she's very protective, but then she also sort of has this desire to save her children at all costs. And instead of portraying her as like either the Megan Fox and Transformers, like just dripping sex when it's not necessarily warranted, uh, Michael Bay method of filmmaking, uh, or having it so she's like the sexy uh, character in distress. She's the Linda Hamilton. Um, she, she actually, there is actually a Linda Hamilton moment when they're running through a jungle set and her sweater gets caught in something and she tears it off and she has uh, like, 
not even a spaghetti strap, but like a tank top. And it's a little sexy, but it's really because this is the transition from her covering up to her being like Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2, right? Like you could see her doing those angry pull-ups on the bars if you wanted. Like she goes full, um, you know, mama bear protecting her young and it's great. And we, I just can't really see too many male directors carrying that off well. Of course, uh, Terminator 2 was directed by James Cameron, um, but uh, you know, it's, it's a rarity to see that on screen. And I'm very excited when I see a character done that way. And that's when I look at the credits and I'm like, hmm, is this? Yep, this was directed by a woman. Uh, yeah, and so- give, um, Just, um, she seemed like a very good um, alternative if they were gonna do a Resident Evil movie and actually have Jill Valentine play, uh, be portrayed as someone who actually is decently badass. So just uh, hand it to Paul W.S. Anderson. I'm sure he'll do a great job. Oh, that's a deep read. That's a deep read. Paul, we love you. Come on the show. We'd like to talk to you. We'd like to uh, make sure you're on track for a couple of your future projects, by the way. Um, yeah, the that's uh, Beth is played by um, is it Danny Kind. Yes, Danny Kind. Uh, and people might remember her. She played Mercedes on the uh, Winona Earp TV series. And I think that actually aired on sci-fi channel if i'm not mistaken for a while and uh yeah i mean she's done a lot of work and maybe not some of the bigger films in the big roles but she's recognizable she was in decoys 2 in 2007 um which uh, you know this is a called podcast you might remember that uh, but she does a great job and i think as i said before the cast across the board does a solid job um the we get her 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 husband um who's who's played by steve lund is uh does a great job at being a jackass um he's also no stranger to tv science fiction fantasy shows he was in haven he was in bitten he was uh in uh, the show hemlock grove grove back in the 2013 era um so he's been in a lot of stuff too and you recognize him he actually for being the so we find out he's a bad father. He's a bad husband. We find out he's been having an affair with his secretary. And uh, he's one of those characters that gets such satisfying comeuppance all throughout the film. Like they just do not let him rest. And uh, he does a good job of making fun of this unlikable character with his mannerisms. Like he's, at first, there's several times the script where you think they're going to make him sympathetic and then they 180 it on you. And it's all that more gratifying to 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 sort of, you know hold his head to the grindstone later on but for example at one point snarky the elephant uh character in the banana splits uh who turns out to be kind of the one of the helpful characters is chasing him down with their banana splits mobile and uh as he's running away he's doing sort of this like ridiculous comic-y run uh which I just love because he's a very handsome guy. He's very fit. He usually gets those sort of heartthrob roles and, or douchey attractive guy roles. And so to have him be like doing a really goofy legs everywhere, um, uh, sort of death bone at the end of Moist Fury run uh, out, of, out of frame, like that's really gratifying. And it's nice to see that kind of commitment uh, in, in the picture. Also, this is one of those films where you'll see a lot of people of color, um, a lot of uh, different ages, different, um, you know, 
maybe someone looks more feminine and they identify as masculine. It's not even touched on in the script necessarily, but you see it and it feels natural that way. And it's nice because it is representation and very excited about that. Couple of things I wanna talk about that triggered me. Uh, for example, that idea when uh, Zoe, the, the friend that isn't really a friend who doesn't wanna to go to the show at first, although she ends up liking it, uh, her mom, is like, you're going, you were invited. It's his birthday party. It's nice. You're going. Has anybody had that? That was one of those things that I was terrified of as a kid. I, I'm not a social person. Um, that's why I talk to a select few people online away from my house. And then I post it online. That's as close to a conversation in the real world as I prefer to get. Um, and so I was always terrified that this would happen to me. Uh, Tad, you were raising your hand. I can imagine your mom suggesting you go to things mm -hmm. like this. It happened all the time, but we can also safely say that we'd be like, Nathan, get up. Come on. We're going to go do stuff. Nathan, wake up. Go. Oh, let's go. That happened quite a bit. In fact, I think Jeff, many a time, and Tad as well, many a time, you guys were waiting down in the kitchen. Uh, like four hours. Maybe not that long. Four but hours? It felt like Ooh. four hours. If it was, it was a long time, four hours, maybe one, I don't know what would have happened, what was happening in that day, but, um, but yeah. Like, I can even remember waiting downstairs in your house for you to join us to go somewhere. I'm not a punctual person. Um, this podcast started late. Uh, I, I have gotten much better. Uh, and I can safely say I work from home. So it's, it's, I found a way to work around it guys, but yeah, it's, it's, this is one of those things like it, it rang true. Um, although luckily my parents did not make me do things. Uh, my dad certainly would have preferred that. Hey dad. Uh, but my, and who knows, maybe it would have been good for me, but I'm sure glad I didn't have to find out. Uh, the, I think there are a couple of things that I wondered, um, they could have been done differently. They were serviceable as was, but they could have been done differently, which what I'm thinking about is several of the kills of the sort of crew of the show, like the, um, well, the producer, I mean, the, the VP who cancels the show. We do get a pretty solid murder of him, but initially we don't know what happens to him. And there's a lot of things that are happen off camera or people yanked off screen uh, in the first half of the movie. And I don't dislike it, but it did feel like a missed opportunity because there's so many of the death scenes, which are so critical to a slasher movie like this, are really creative uses of things from the show. Like we get in the magic section, we get um, the Instagrammer character cut in half with the fake, you know, cut in half box, of course they're not doing it properly. So he's really cut in half. Um, and then we get, they have the, in the original show, they have the uh, mail time joke where uh, one of the characters opens their mailbox and mail just like shoots out of them in a big funnel of mail. And they do it with some sort of gas line. So it just blows flames. I wanted to see a couple of more of those. Like I wanted every murder and death in this show to be that special. Um, and there were a couple that were just a little more pedestrian. Uh, and and I, I don't know how to feel about that because in one hand it makes the great effects and the great murders uh, work and pop. On the other hand, it does seem like a wasted opportunity. Um, I don't know if anybody else noticed that. I thought it was nice when it happened, and I'm mm. not sure. Like if it was every single time, like would have it felt too campy and like mm -hmm. like overdone. Um, but it would have been like nice to have 
I guess more tie-in because like why else are we having the film right yeah like, like like there's a stage dad character who's very annoying um and he gets his it doesn't it's not what kills him but he gets his face lit on fire with um it looks like a can of aquanet or something and uh and uh the vp cigar and that was one of those where I'm like, well, that doesn't really scream banana splits to me. There is a cigar and I understand, you know, the Chekhov's gun. If you, if you have a gun at one point, you want to use it at another point. Um, so it was nice to see the cigar used, but I could have seen something more banana splitty about that. Um, Cause it, in no way did I see anything about it in the show. Like it could have been a guitar strangulation. I don't know. They have music segments, they play instruments, you know, whatever. Um, the other thing that I loved, which sort of gets to what Jeff was mentioning with the wit parts, is that we had um, we had several characters like the VP show up later on that I'd forgotten about or didn't expect to um, to see again. Like he's pulled off camera early on as sort of the first victim, and we I assumed he was dead. Like it was one of those where it's early enough in the movie you don't see him die, but you assume. Uh, or actually it might be the second death. I can't remember. Stevie, their on-screen human counterpart might be the first one to die. But when the VP is killed, he's pulled off screen. And oftentimes that signifies that later one of the characters is going to say something like, you're being crazy. Everything's fine. And then open the fridge and the body will tumble out. Right? Like that's that you're setting up that moment. But we didn't get that. Instead, we get the VP near the climax on the, um, the wheel of endings, which in the original show was a wheel that was spun that had all these cool things that could happen like banana splits was one of them and uh and rock and roll was the one that always hit apparently where they played the rock and roll instruments uh and he's on the wheel and then instead of doing what it always does which is hit rock and roll it hits banana splits and they dismember him all a braveheart uh with robots and it's fun and i like seeing it and we cannot not talk about the potential setup for a sequel that i absolutely adored um so one thing that to preface it one thing about these movies is we know from friday the 13th all these types of movies that operate with a high body count uh there's two ways they can go with it they can go the halloween route where some of the people i mean you don't want them to die they seem like normal nice people and it's really terrifying to see them die and also there's the friday the 13th vibe where the movie sets people up to be victims uh you're like i don't like this person or oh you shouldn't have done that now it's your fault you're dead like you can have a little bit of blame or uh, uh sick joy in the fact that the character is going to get killed or something tragic is going to befall them and it makes it more of a fun sort of vibe and that's what this one goes for but there are some moments where you're like "Ooh, i don't think that person's deserving of that um and you know i mean it's to happen right it's homicidal robots if you want to be consistent with the plot well they're going to kill people. Uh, but what I'd like to say is that they sort of, they minimized that sort of what I'd call unjust death uh, in this by having characters pop up again, like the, uh, the girl, the Instagram girl whose who's fiance after proposing to her is killed in the mad magician's box. Um, she, I love the scene when the mom convinces her to go with them and leave her dead boyfriend's body uh, because I didn't expect it to happen. So often the woman on the ground in the blood just starts crying and I can't leave him and they have to leave her. It's always the male character dragging the other woman going, we have to go leave her. 
So glad that didn't happen. Instead, she stands up, she says, okay, and she follows them. Then they did one better. And when they get to the workshop and find the crazy old guy who's programmed the banana splits and refuses to uh, help stop them, the others move on. And that character who's Poppy uh, finds the fifth unfinished banana split, a hootie, the owl, and puts on the costume and then kills the old man. And the last scene of the movie, we see her driving off in the banana split mobile with all of the parts of the destroyed animatronic banana splits and God knows what it's setting up. And I love that because it's open-ended enough that you could have a sequel or imagine that, oh, the story is not really over, but it's not a cliffhanger. <laughs> I don't, you don't have to make a sequel if you don't want to, or it doesn't do well. And I still feel like I was satisfied enough. And you did something with a character who was just a victim and then became something new. Um, by the end, there's actually a progression and it's not an it's not a redemption arc. It's not um, a, a growth arc or if it is a growth arc, it's in a very strange direction. Uh, I liked that. I thought that was a fun component. Um, and I don't know. I didn't. I see really enjoyed her costuming and how that tied into her final so like, fun thing. I thought that was great. Again, yeah, I kind of like that goes jacket. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, like the details that I really liked about how the movie was put together. And uh, just as a as a side note, that was actually in my wedding vows. Uh, if I'm ever killed in a uh, Ninja Turtles animatronic reboot gone awry, my wife is to gather the pieces and become the fifth Ninja Turtle. Like it's just, that's, she knew what she signed up for. Um, yeah, so so I think we can, we can move on to the recommendations or not for this one. Um, I do want to mention the the cast of this movies uh, because we've talked about them. Uh, the, the person who played Poppy is Selena Martin. And she, I think, did a really great job. Um, and people might know her from uh, Level 16, which was also uh, directed uh, by Danishka Estrahazi and it's it's a interesting science fiction boarding school film uh from from 2018 and I, I recommend watching it again i recommend watching all of danishka's films because i think that one let's support women who actually get into the industry that we've made it so hard for them to get into but also let's support the ones that do it well like i mean we all we all know how the craft legacy turned out and if you enjoyed it great but i from a from a technical narrative standpoint it's not a good film and it hurts when i have to review something uh, and give an honest review but i want it to succeed because it's featuring women or people of color all those things um you know they deserve a bigger piece of the pie than they have right now so support them and this is a movie that I think you can support. So I'll start with the recommendation for me. Yes, I recommend the Banana Splits movie. If you like that kind of 80s, early 90s um, killer hack and slash movie, but with monsters, if you're tired of the maniac genre, which I always get tired of, then watch the Banana Splits movie. You'll see some animatronic fun. There's some great special effects. The costumes on the, the uh, Banana Splits characters themselves are really great. The acting is solid. And anything that is seems a little stilted it's kind of intentional uh because this is uh at its heart a a an homage to this era of slapdash uh blood-filled um cathartic filmmaking tad 
Would you recommend the Banana Splits movie? And if so, why and to who? I would not recommend it if people don't really care about the horror and if they don't really care about Banana Splits. Like I didn't, we, we're all young for it. Maybe, uh, maybe my parents who did grow up with H&R Puff and stuff might get a little more hooked in because it's a property that they grew up with. Personally, I'm waiting for the Rowan and Martin's laugh in horror reboot. When are we getting that? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I guess it depends on if that Kickstarter um, to put Goldie Hawn back in her bikini and body paint is still going on. And if it is, go kickstarter.com slash Rowan and Martin's laughing. Mandy, would you recommend the Banana Splits movie? And if so, why and to who? Ah, yeah, I would. Uh, horror fans are going to get a kick out of this one, I think. It's just a good little romp. Uh, as Nate pointed out at the beginning of the episode, aren't really, I think it was Nate, aren't really that many twists to like the horror plot of this. Like it is pretty, uh, I don't want to say predictable, but it's, it's like, you know, like classic uh, as far as like the actual horror um, plot, but it is very well written. There's good representation as Nate pointed out as well. Uh, it's just a pretty fun horror film to sit down and watch so if it's your thing do it and we also just mentioned um we tad mentioned some earlier the sort of um forbidden was it the forbidden temple uh i can't remember Legends but of the hidden temple i didn't mention it Legend but of the I hidden temple thinking of it. and yeah and 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 uh slime time live and those things like who thought those were fun like watching them run the the what is the slippery course or whatever um in this show reminded me of all those shows as a kid I don't want to do that. Like just to give viewers, just to give you a little insight at one point, um, a producer who has a finger broken and her nose broken and the stage dad who has his face all burned up, they have to run the course and they're just falling and sliding and screaming and, and obviously in pain. And to me, that would just be me trying to run the course. Like, I don't need anything broken to be screaming and falling and stumbling every time. I mean, I'm gonna have a hip shiner, my finger's gonna get bent backwards, my elbow's gonna hurt because I can't fall like that anymore. Like, who thought that was a good idea? And then they throw pies at them. I don't know what we're doing to our kids, but I'm pretty sure it's part of the problem. Jeff, would you recommend the Banana Splits movie? And if so, to who? Um, I wouldn't recommend it to me, but uh, you know, so if you're me, don't don't go watch this. Um, but uh, yeah, anybody that likes horror films, I you think this is a quality horror film. It actually has a little bit um, more wit and um, kind of drive than the the usual fare. You you actually might be surprised a couple times. You might actually have some moments where you're like, oh okay, that's interesting. Um, but uh, you know, it's a horror film. Yeah, I think it's a great Friday night, Saturday night with popcorn movie like you and another person. Um, this is the kind of thing that if it, when things get gruesome, the other person can cringe on your shoulder or you can cringe on theirs or you both can cheer and eat lots of popcorn and put more butter on it. Um, like it's just that kind of film. It's not, you know, the people that you really love. Uh, spoiler alert, don't die in the end. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, the people that deserve it do. And then the ones in the middle, you kind of have to, you get a toss up. You're like, are they going to make it? Are they not going to make it? And it adds that little bit of tension. Uh, and Snarky forever. I, I'm a big Snarky fan. I actually, when, when, when Snarky gets uh, taken down, I felt bad. Um, I was, I was, it was hit me in my, in my, my heart bits. And how cute was that awkward little kid? Very cute. Just, Harley, oh my gosh. Harley 
um, did a great job. And I, I'm, I'm, you're calling me out for not being prepared by knowing, but this, this is why I didn't know because I, I couldn't remember Harley's, uh, the, the actor's name. It's Finlay Wolfjack Hissong. So, uh, which I definitely have butchered that pronunciation. So Finlay, I'm sorry, but you did a really, really great job. And people might, uh, also recommend, I mean, uh, recognize Finley from the 2020 film Dreamcatcher, which uh, is, is is one of the characters in it. And uh, I saw it and I, I recognized him as well. Uh, he's got the same hairstyle and anything and very much that like cute uh, sort of like innocent face that is what they were cast for. And Lynn Shea's in that movie also, which uh, Tad and I will certainly remember uh, as the was the security person or the PR person, whatever she was in the last segment of Snoop Dogg's uh, uh, Tales from the Tales Hood. Tales from the Hood? Yep. So oh listen back to that. That actually launched as a mini-sode. So if you've been skipping the mini-episodes on Fridays, guys, you're missing out. We launched some big, fun stuff on those. So thank you guys so much for listening to this segment of our uh, Birthday Party Massacre film double feature with the Banana Splits. Join us next week to talk about uh, the Killer Pinata Director's Cut, the new Director's Cut of the original 2015 release film, where we'll talk about another Birthday Massacre, compare the two, and get in on the Killer Pinata business. All right, thanks so much. I'm Nate Wyckoff. And remember, write a review wherever you find your podcasts. And if you send a screenshot of your review to us at coltonclassicpodcast at gmail.com or to our Instagram handle at Instagram, excuse me, at Colton Classic Podcast on Instagram. See, I'm good with technology. Uh, then we will send you some cool stuff in the mail, some real swag from the pod. Thanks so much. And we hope you have a great day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.